Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the New England Joint Board Podcast. With me today is Representative Ken Gordon from the Middlesex 21st District in Massachusetts, representing Burlington, Bedford, and Wilmington. Representative Ken Gordon uh, has done a lot of good things for the Commonwealth. He wrote the legislation that created paid family medical leave in Massachusetts. Uh, so we really want to talk with him to figure out more about how that works, especially in advance of whatever may be coming from uh, the federal level on paid family medical leave. So Representative Gordon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you for having me. I, I just want to address just one thing you said while I did contribute to the writing of that. I was one of the authors of this of the uh, bill that became a law. There were many contributors to it, uh, uh, including uh, Senate President Karen Spilka, who was the Senate presenter of the bill too, and many advocates. And it was uh, it was really one of those let's put all the best ideas into the bill and uh, and create the best product we can. Totally. And thank you for mentioning that. I mean, Senator Spilka has done so much good work for expanding access to healthcare in the Commonwealth. Uh, so I do want to thank you and thank Senator Spilka as well. And so to kind of dig into it a little bit, PFML is pretty new, pay, PFML being paid family medical leave. What does that entail in Massachusetts? Uh, what kind of are the benefits that go into creating the PFML uh, benefit and what do people need to get access to it? Right. So what paid family medical leave does is that it provides that Massachusetts, which became one of the first states to create this program from, from scratch, and I'll explain what that means. Massachusetts and Washington did this uh, almost together. Um, and we create a program so that if a family uh, experiences the joy of the birth or adoption of a child, adoption of a foster child, or the very trying time where a family member, uh, including a child, goes into the hospital for more than a week, that this provides that the working parent or the working parents will have that time to spend with their family member. Because what we really tried to solve was the problem of, let's use the parent-child example, is let's say that that child is in the hospital with some very serious condition. The last thing that parent wants to do is go back to work um, while that child is still suffering. Um, but many parents in Massachusetts had to do that in order to pay the rent. We heard from employers too who supported this program because they said in that example, the parents aren't at their most productive when they're really worrying about a child who's suffering outside or in the hospital and things like that. They also going to that joyous time, parents wanna spend some time with their child bonding. Sociologists have said that the 12 weeks that we provide is really a minimum that's needed for the family to be together. So we want to provide at least that, you know, we can start there and, and look to work from there. So that's what it does. What it does is it creates a, a fund of money, kind of an insurance program, so that there are contributions made on behalf of each worker in Massachusetts based on their wages. It's a, a bit of a complicated sliding scale, but the average worker in Massachusetts pays one half of $4.30. The employer pays one half, the employee pay, pays one half, except for in the smallest of businesses, the employer half is waived and the employer can pay the employee half if the employer chooses to do that. But that's how the money is raised. And that's why, this, uh, the deductions were being taken for a few years in here in Massachusetts before the benefits were paid because we had to fund that program. So it would be self-sustaining. So when did those funds start coming out? The funds started coming out fully just this past July. Mm -hmm. uh, 
meaning that all the benefits are now being paid to every eligible member, every eligible employee. And, and so they were phased in somewhat. But at this point, any parent who, again, experiences the, that um, situation involving a child or a family member, a spouse, uh, can now access the benefit. There's a benefit to people coming back from the military, the families, so that they have time to spend with military members, including those military members that come back with health care issues. Now, that, those families can be together as well. That's great, because it really is such a moral issue beyond the logistical issue where there's so many families who just need to take that time after the birth or adoption of a child when they're going through difficult medical periods. It's something that we would expect from a society to be able to go through those moments in life. And now we finally do have the system in place to accommodate it. You know, politicians sometimes talk about family values. The greatest family value is time. And, mm-hmm. and that's not an original, uh, that's not an original statement on my behalf. Uh, uh, Labor Secretary at the time, uh, the Labor Secretary under President Obama, Tom Perez, said that to me. He said, that is our greatest family value. The time that we have to spend together, that's what we're going to remember. And that's what we need. And this law it was a bill at the time, but this law provides for that. And so what happened at that time was that the White House identified uh, a few states that they thought had the opportunity to to pass a program like this. And they brought us together uh, locally. We had Connecticut, us, as I said, Washington, D.C. was there, a few other states. And they said, let's you know, put our put our heads together, come up with the best plan. And also, if there's some infrastructure that we can provide on the federal level that benefits everybody. And they did that in the form of open source software, meaning that they created a digital platform that we could all tap into. And as they said, if you improve this, leave the improvements behind so that another state can benefit from it. And collaboratively, that's one of the ways we were able to, to get this done. So what I'm hearing is when this bill was coming together, you you were speaking with people from the White House, other states. Does that sound right? And who else were you talking with at the time? First of all, that's exactly right. So we we brought in some great thinkers from all sorts of places. What was very important was that we had two actuaries here in Massachusetts, Randy Albelda and Adam, I'm sorry, Alan Clayton Matthews. They're professors at UMass Boston and Northeastern, and they create a model, created a model so that we knew what the cost would be, because there are a lot of good ideas in this here in Massachusetts and otherwise that we need to figure out, okay, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to make it so that it's benefiting everybody? And, and they were, they were fantastic because every time we thought of a change, I went to them and said, okay, what would this do to the modeling? What would this do to the cost of the program? And so we had a great handle on, on that. We had advocates from uh, some of the unions come in. We had some of the um, representatives of small business that I talked to that came in that I got their perspective. I got the perspective of a, a small business owner that you know some of the some of the people I met along the way whose stories I'll never forget. Uh, one small business owner said, "I have a dilemma. My my best employee is my daughter, but I want to be a grandpa and I want to be a grandpa soon. But I can't lose my daughter. If, if he loses his daughter for." the 12 weeks that we have in the program, he might have to replace her in that time because the business is so small that it doesn't qualify for the federal program. Mm-hmm. And he said, this program would would provide what I need. I could go out and hire somebody for the short term to fill in what, what 
what my daughter would be doing. I could get by. They said, how, how fast, how, how soon can you do it? And I said, well, sometimes we hear from the business owners about the cost of the program. And he said, you know, you're telling me $4.20 or $4.30 a week? He says, that's, that's two gallons of gas in my truck. Don't talk to me about that. Talk to me about how I get to be a grandfather now as a result of this. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's illustrative of what really can happen when you use your creativity and free up these opportunities for people. Mm -hmm. So talking about those logistics, about the funding and bureaucratic process that has to go into creating a system like this, I'm really curious if there's any room for improvement that you see in the way that the current bill has either been created or in its implementation. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the one place I think we could, first of all, I think we can learn from the program as it develops. And that's what we intended mm-hmm. to do. So that we predicted what the cost would be based on look, looking at California. There, there are five states that had a program somewhat similar to this that they created out of excess funding from when Social Security was put into place back in the 40s. It's different because, it's, first of all, the technology is old and it doesn't provide the same level of benefits, but the theory was there. So we Mm -hmm. could look at California uh, and see how their uh, program worked Um, there, especially in Northern California, they have a similar economy to ours. And, you know, our actuaries were able to then take data from there and extrapolate to our population and our workforce and things like that. So we could learn from that. And so from that, we were able to, as I said, put together the, the, the fund that we can pay benefits from and also pay salaries and things like that. We don't need that many people to do this. It's just you know, a question of overseeing the funding and the claims. One thing we can certainly look at is that there are many countries who offer longer uh, parental leave uh, for the birth or adoption of a child. So we could look at you know, whether we want to make any changes to that you know, into the future. I'm glad that we were able to get that level of benefit that, like I said, sociologists said, at least let's get that. You know, when we looked into mm-hmm. this program from a, a national point of view, there are only three countries that are members of the United Nations that don't have paid family and medical leave as a matter of public policy. You know, Suriname, Sri Lanka, and the United States of America. And so think of all the other countries that are UN members that do have it. It's not a place we want to be. And I'm hoping that we can serve as a model for the country to, you said this in your introduction, to roll out a program like this. And that's why the Obama administration invited us in in the first place. They believed that Congress probably wouldn't accept a program like this. So they thought, well, okay, let's create a track record from among states, uh, help them, and they'll show that this is a, a, a very workable and very winning program. And last thing I'll say about that infrastructure is it was a little difficult because we had nothing in place. We were starting a whole program from from scratch. On the other hand, it's 2020 or 2019 technology that we could call upon to create this. And so we were really freed from what was going on in some states where they were tied to, you know, to the old types of infrastructure that made their programs more cumbersome. Ours is much more nimble website if folks want to look at the uh, paid family leave website it's it's easily workable and 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 you know so we're we're looking to that um the other thing we could do better is really it's a new program and so the administration is managing it under the department of paid family and medical leave as best they can but as with anything there are just bugs to fix uh within the software and within the details that um they're working out 
and we're working with the administration to try to improve. Uh, so you mentioned working with the Obama administration on this. A uh, notable member of the Obama administration was then Vice President Joe Biden, who is now the president, and working to get a paid family medical leave program into this soft infrastructure bill that they're trying to push through. As the federal government mulls this over and tries to create a paid family medical leave program, as other states try to do this, what kind of advice would you give to them? It really, They wouldn't need my advice, first of all, because remember, they were giving us advice. And you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, Vice President at the time, Biden, was part of their effort. So he's very motivated to bringing a program like this. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to be as extensive as what we did in Massachusetts, but something that would provide these benefits to them. They know exactly why it's important and they know what we can do. You know, I think the, the one of the issues with government, and I've been part of government now for about eight years, I was in the private sector my whole life. And, and in business, people aren't afraid to take a chance. If you own a business, sometimes you've got to take a risk. Um, you know what the right thing to do is, and you and you essentially go for it. In government, people are a little frightened because I think they're looking at getting criticized all the time if things don't work out perfect. But you know what? Sometimes we have to be bold and do the right thing. And if we're criticized for doing the right thing, so be it. We're there to accept that criticism. It's part of our job. That's a great perspective to have on it. And thank you for saying that. I think that when it comes to these types of soft infrastructure that they're pitching, uh, it's important to be bold, take risks, and do what's right for the American people. Uh, And that's exactly what was done here. Right, right. Thank you for saying that. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This was a lot of great information, and we're so happy that this is something that our members and all workers in Massachusetts get to take advantage of and uh, use when they're going through life's moments. Um, So thank you for that. Well, you know what, Mitch? I want to thank you because part of the challenge of this program is getting the word out. People Mm -hmm. should know that it's available to them. Uh, We want them to use it. Um, We don't want the situation when when I started, before we put this into play, remember that uh, people had access to unpaid family leave, but the average leave that was taken was three weeks. And about one third of people in Massachusetts weren't taking leave at all because they couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter how many weeks of unpaid leave the law would allow. What really mattered is what people could afford to do. And now they can afford to take that leave that they want, that they deserve, that's better for the child, better for the parent, better for the small business owner because of the reasons I said, um, better for our economy, you know, all around, it makes for a better society. And so, you know, I'm glad that we have that that policy in place as a matter of law now. Awesome, Uh, well, thank you so much. (laughs) This was a good conversation. Paid family and medical leave is unavailable in Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire. Members who are working in Connecticut will be eligible for up to 12 weeks of benefits beginning January 2022, and members who are working in Massachusetts, New York, or Rhode Island are currently eligible to receive PFML benefits. Benefit amounts vary by state, so please visit the links in the show notes to find out more about eligibility in your state, or feel free to email me at mfallon at unitehere.org with any questions you may have.